When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Heat Check Podcast, Miami Herald's Miami Heat Podcast. I'm David Wilson and I'm joined uh, by a special guest, although we just had you last week, so it's not that special, I guess. It's Barry Jackson, columnist at the Miami Herald. Barry, what's going on? Hi, David. Good to see you again. So it's somewhat special. Yeah, spe- I make, specialish. I one appearance in two months, that's special, but two straight... Yeah, it becomes a little less exciting. Uh, Anthony uh, couldn't make it on this week. Got some travel ahead of the All-Star game. Um, a busy week, obviously, for him. But we uh, we had Barry on last week to preview the trade deadline, um, which wound up being a very uneventful one for the Heat. Uh, the Deadman deal had already happened when we talked last week. So no activity for the Heat. But so we figured who better to recap the trade deadline than uh, the guy who covers transactions down here in South Florida pretty much better than anyone um, so Barry, let's, we're, we're going to mostly go with deadline stuff. Obviously we're recording this before, uh, the Brooklyn game Wednesday, so we won't get too much into the actual basketball stuff. Obviously there'll be a break for the all-star break where Anthony, I'll come back and kind of assess where the heat are going into this last stretch of the year. Um, but with the trade deadline, we talked last week about how kind of little flexibility they had after making that Deadman move. Um, we thought maybe Lowry would be. Uh, the one piece they could flip, but we talked about some of the guys that we were interested in were going to be hard to make the numbers work. So I guess, first of all, are you surprised that they didn't make a move last week? Well, I was hopeful. After the Deadman I deal. guess we can't be surprised just because their assets were really right. no assets at all. You had a point guard in Kyle Lowry who has diminished so much this year, it's almost breathtaking. But we've seen examples of point guards getting into their mid-30s mm-hmm. and then falling off the cliff particularly with shooting percentage. We've seen that this year with Chris Paul. Obviously, we've seen it with Westbrook, who's never been a great three-point shooter to begin with, obviously, and then with Lowry. But to see him go from a a 20-point-a-game guy three years ago to 12 this season, to see the three-point percentage drop from 39 a couple years ago, close to it, to 33 now. And basically, when you're an older point guard and you lose a step, uh, then you become a really a liability Uh, instead of an asset, both on the floor and as a trade commodity. There's hope that his expiring contract next year will be more movable than it was this uh, this February. And I think there's still hope, at least from what I hear uh, from the Heat coaching staff, that they can revive Kyle, have him play an important role on the team. But one thing that's clear to both of us, David, is there's going to be an awkward moment when he comes back if Gabe Vincent continues playing mm-hmm. uh, as well as he has. Uh, does Eric Spolstra, who's had to make difficult decisions over 15 years as he coach, is Spolstra going to broach the topic of coming off the bench to Kyle Lowry? How will Lowry respond to that? Uh, if you're Spo, David, is this something you feel like you need to do, or do you want to see uh, how they play coming out of the All-Star break in Milwaukee Charlotte, Philly, 
before going to Lowry with a coming off the bench idea. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think obviously you take every every bit every minute you can get to evaluate this because Gabe Vincent has been good uh, for really an extended period of time now, probably more than a month. Uh, yeah, about a month. What it was that the kind of that Milwaukee back to back set that he kind of broke out and he's become kind of the guy at point guard for them since. To me, the the biggest thing is, and you touched on it, the uh, three-point percentage plummeting. And the way this Heat team is structured, it's something Anthony and I talk about over and over again, is there's not a lot of teams out there at the Heat's level, you know, top 10 teams in the NBA or whatever they are, um, that have their two best players be two, like, total non-shooters. And it means you need to really surround them with good three-point shooters. It's, you know, the Duncan contract obviously has not worked out, but that's part of why I thought it was a defensible uh, decision at the time. Obviously, it's part of why Struess has been so valuable uh, to this team. And and it was when they first brought Kyle Lowry in, and you know, I think people forget and that basically before he got hurt last year, he was pretty good. Um, and a big part of that was he was a good three-point shooter, and it was something they really badly needed. They needed a point guard um, who could make threes. They needed to basically put three shooters on the floor around those two guys all the time. Uh, Gabe, who started off in a terrible three-point shooting slump, is is clearly kind of like sprung back to life there. And uh, I think that is to me like if he if he can keep that the shooting ability up, um, you know he's been he's a pretty good defender also. But the three-point shooting, if he keeps giving you this, what you know, which is basically what the Heat expect from him, I think it's really hard to to send him to the bench eventually. Um, and I can't remember if it was last week that Anthony brought this up when you were on, or it's something he's mentioned before. Like the the selling point that that Spo can make is Goran Dragic did this, uh, Dwayne Wade did this. I mean, Tyler Hero was Sixth Man of the Year doing this last year. Uh, Victor Oladipo, if he played the whole year, might be a Sixth Man of the Year contender doing this. Like the Heat has a good track record of getting of putting veteran guys. Obviously, Hero is an exception, but veteran guys, uh, guys with good resumes, putting them off the bench and getting them to buy in and, and you know, play starter minutes in, in a lot of those guys' cases, that has to be the selling point. For now, I think, it, like, if, if Kyle Lowry came back, like, today, I'd be like, you got you to gotta stick with Gabe, obviously, like you said. They've got some time because we don't know exactly when Kyle is going to be back where they can continue assessing this. But, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely creates an awkward situation and you know not just because of that but you know Kyle Lowry knows that he tried to trade him last week right like it's it, and he you know you you talked to him about that when you were on the road too the the way that his he was brought in to be the third banana and has now become a guy that like is his greatest value to this organization is as a chip to potentially move obviously it didn't happen last week but maybe uh in the offseason and it'd be very surprising if he were here next season. I think yeah. Lowry, even though he told me he'd like to stay, I think he would not have been unhappy if he had been moved to the Clippers. I'd heard that that would have been something he would have been comfortable with had mm-hmm. it happened. But ultimately, there was no reason for the Clippers to take on Lowry in his contract when they were able to get Bones Highland, a player averaging the same number of points per game, for $26 million less. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. Highland isn't the floor general right. or the decorated uh, player and leader that Lowry is. But for the Clippers, ultimately, it was probably smarter financially to be able to get uh, both Bones Highland and Eric Gordon, and they added mm-hmm. a center in Plumlee, uh, than using assets to get Lowry. So uh, the reason the Lowry decision 
as far as whether he's going to the bench and whether he's comfortable with that is important to resolve over the next week and a half is you need to know how to approach the buyout market with point guards. Right. Because you have Patrick Beverly out there that they don't appear to be moving aggressively on at this point. You have Russell Westbrook looming in the background uh, amid reports that he's at least giving a little bit of thought to either finishing the year in Utah or perhaps just going home and collecting his $47 million or not doing anything this year. We've also seen a report out of Chicago that Billy Donovan, the Bulls coach, has quietly, through a third party, reached out to Westbrook to let him know we'd love you here. Uh, I do believe that he has some interest, and I think he would have value off the bench. But the question is this. If Lowry tells Spolstra, you know what? I don't think coming off the bench is for me. Maybe I should just spend the year uh, the rest of the season at home. Not saying that he would do that. Right. But if you have that conversation and Lowry's not responsive, then you obviously even more so need to add a veteran point guard. And even if Lowry is responsive to that, you could still make the case that they need to add a veteran point guard, whether it's Westbrook, John Wall, or Beverly, simply because Lowry's knee at this point can't be trusted. He missed four games, needed the knee drained in January. He's going to miss the sixth consecutive game on Wednesday in Brooklyn as we tape the show in advance of that game. Uh, and I've been told he's likely going to be out into March. So even if he's agreeable to coming off the bench, uh, even if Spolstra agrees to allow him to continue starting, you still probably need another point guard to complement him and Vincent, who really has played as well as anyone could have reasonably mm-hmm. expected these last couple of weeks. And the Heat, uh, at least going into last night, uh, was really good with him starting, and they obviously hung around uh, Denver uh, even despite being under man last night and Vincent played well again. Yeah. Yeah. It, they need to get some, you know, they've got two open roster spots. Um, even if it's not a Russell Westbrook or a John Wall, like a big name guy, they, they're going to need a point guard because they, they're just, you feel thin like right now. I mean, Jabari Bouye, Bouye has been uh, a nice little pleasant surprise on the 10 day contract. Right. But uh, they got a, they need, they need to find some piece there for depth. I, I don't know. If Westbrook is what, you know, I, I don't know how much of a fit he is. It's another non-shooting, um, another non-shooting ball dominant guy um, who has been better in a six-man role this year than certainly he was last year uh, in L.A. But but I, I, he makes me worried just because of how uh, heliocentric a player he can be for a team that is, uh, I don't know, a franchise that is like, very much the opposite of that. Uh, obviously, the, the the ceiling there is is still pretty good. You know, he's like ten assists a game. Like he definitely can. He has a role still in this league, especially if he can rein himself in. Um, I, I think point guard though has to be addressed in some manner, even if it's not a guy like that. Uh, I I had buyout guys listed. Other than the point is point guard is that the one one buyout spot you're monitoring, or is there are there any other guys that have whose names you've heard or, or just know might be available that, that if you're the Heat, you'd be interested in. I, I know they've given thought, David, to Serge Ibaka. I just don't know how eager they are to jump on that. Mm-hmm. And to me, you should be patient. You should wait to see if another big of higher quality uh, becomes available. With Ibaka, he'd love to be here. Uh, the Heat has indicated that they're at least giving a thought, but keep in mind that he's not anywhere close to the player he was four years ago. Yeah, He was better a couple of years ago the Heat did not pursue him. So the Heat had interest in Serge Ibaka circa 2014, 2015, 2016. There's been no 
serious pursuit of him in recent years, even when he hit free agency. And with Yurtseven coming back shortly after the All-Star break, is there even a need for another backup center who you wouldn't necessarily play with Bam at this stage of his career? To me, if you're going to sign a big, it should be one who's younger, still has something he can give you playing alongside Bam mm-hmm. as an option when Caleb Martin either is injured, hopefully not, or in foul trouble, and that player simply might not become available. So here's what I do, David. I sign a point guard, best available one, within the next couple of weeks. You can stall further by just giving Bouye another 10-day yeah, contract yeah. when his expires shortly after the All-Star break. And then I was leaning against giving the other contract to Orlando Robinson a week ago, but the way he's played uh, over the last couple of games inclines me to think that that is more likely than not. And it's defensible, I think, over Ibaka, and it's defensible to give Orlando Robinson a standard contract if no better big becomes available uh, in the next week and a half. So I would lean toward giving the other standard to Robinson, who has uh, fewer than five games remaining under uh, his two-way deal. But that's a decision that you don't have to make until the very beginning of March. Mm -hmm. Um, So ultimately... For the Heat, you know, I'm, I'm obviously the, every every year there's winners and losers, right, of the deadline. And the Heat are in an interesting spot where they're a team that I don't want to say they're like stuck in the middle because they're better than that. They're, I, again, I think top 10 in the league in record um, have been with this group just made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. I think it, there's a lot of internal belief that this team gets in the playoffs and they'll be competitive against anyone. Um but in that, in some ways, that almost makes it more. It makes it interesting that there was no no move, other than obviously dumping Deadman. Um, and as we talked about last week, interesting that they dumped him, kind of at the first moment, rather than trying to hold him and piece it together, piece him together, piece other things together with him as a package to get someone. Um, I think we both agree the Celtics and the Bucks are probably the top teams to beat in the East. Um, Philly has probably been a cut above, has certainly been a cut above Miami so far this year. Although I I can't imagine the Heat feel like the Sixers are better than them, given the way some of these meetings have gone in in recent years. Um, Obviously the Bucks or the the Nets getting out of the way will help the Heat. Uh, Just you would think they'll pass them in the standings uh, in these next, in these last 30 odd games. Um, did you kind of did you view so I, I guess there's two ways to look at this. One, as we said, there was just not a lot of paths to make a move for the Heat. Um so do you view this as a situation where they wanted, just from what you've heard, that they wanted to try to do something and nothing ever came about? Or was it a I don't want to say wave the white flag, um, even though that's what I wrote on our outline, or or was it a situation where they're like, no matter what we do here, uh we're probably not making a move to to put us over Milwaukee and Boston. Um, did you view it as a situation where they were looking for things, or or was it a situation where they're content to sit it out and try to kind of like make another run at it next year? I know they wanted to do something. They wanted to add a power rotation player, whether it was Kelly Olynyk or someone like that, and they wanted to move Lowry. Ultimately, mm-hmm. they could do neither because there was not a market for Lowry. Uh, I was told for a team to even consider taking Lowry's contract, Miami would have had to have given up a first-round pick, and the players back 
would not have been particularly appealing. And the Clippers and Timberwolves, who were the main potential suitors, both went in different directions. The Clippers ultimately, after talking to Miami, never engaged in serious discussions with the Heat. Uh, after initial preliminary discussions in Minnesota, opted for Mike Conley instead, who, by the way, has not been that much better than Lowry this year, but is 17 months younger uh, Mm -hmm. and has still been a more efficient player, albeit not appreciably more efficient than Lowry this season. And healthy right now, which I think is probably a big, big part of it. Oh, absolutely right. Lowry's knee definitely had to cause uh, concern for any possible suitors. And the other thing uh, with the power forward search was, once they move Deadman, they basically lack the salary and the sweet spot to be able to get any power forward earning in that nine to twelve million a year range, like Dario Saric, like Olinick. And so then you might ask, well, why did they move Deadman so quickly early in the week rather than seeing if they could attach his four point seven million dollar salary to something else? The reason was the Heat had taken the temperature uh, of all the teams who had available power forwards the Utahs of the world, and determined that there was nothing out there for them to attach Deadman to to get a quality player back. So if the Heat had been able to attach Deadman uh, with a small piece and not give up anything more to get an Olympic type, they would have, but that opportunity simply was not there for them. So this really is a conspiring of several factors. One, injuries to the two players he wanted to get rid of, Lowry and Duncan Robinson. Two, just being in a position where all of your players who you viewed as movable parts either regressed, were injured, or stagnated this year. Ultimately, those factors were too big to overcome. But I'll tell you, David, why the Heat, people are going to laugh at this, why the Heat emerged as a bit of a winner even without doing anything last week, and even while acknowledging that myself, you, Anthony, all of us were frustrated by lack of movement. The reason the Heat emerged a net winner last week is there is one fewer serious obstacle Mm -hmm. in the Eastern Conference. There is one fewer team that that was clearly better than them in the East. There is no reason now that the Heat should not jump Brooklyn during the second half of the year. They're a game and a half back of the Nets entering their game on Wednesday night. And Brooklyn has a bunch of nice players, but no star, nobody on the level of Jimmy and Bam. And there really would be no excuse for the Heat not to jump the Nets and move uh, into the top five of the Eastern Conference. And then once you're five, if you hold off the Knicks, who've been playing very well, they got obviously terrific play from Brunson over the last couple of weeks. Josh Hart gave him a huge lift uh, with 28 against the Nets on, uh, on Monday night. So if you're able to get to five, then to me, if Cleveland's four, you have a very winnable first round yeah. series. And even though I don't want to underestimate and disrespect Cleveland, they have two really good bigs. They have a proven scorer in Mitchell. Garland's a nice point guard. Their lack of experience in the playoffs cannot simply be glossed over. Mitchell hasn't been a great postseason player. The rest of the team is very young. Cleveland players spoke after their loss to Miami two weeks ago about how the Heat's experience mm-hmm. down the stretch gave them an edge that Cleveland simply didn't have. And if the Heat takes a 2-1 lead in a series against the Cavs, David, how do you expect Cleveland to respond with a bunch of young players looking at Jimmy Butler, who's led his team on two deep playoff runs, Adebayo, who's been in NBA Finals? Uh, obviously, if Lowry's back in the equation, that's another playoff-tested player. So that's why I like the matchup with Cleveland if you get to five. The yeah. variable, though, is this. Philadelphia and Cleveland 
are pretty tightly packed yes. at three and four. So if you get to five, there's a possibility if Philly, which has been just a game to two ahead of Cleveland, that Philly could drop to four. And then in that scenario, you'd rather be in the sixth spot and playing Cleveland at three. Now, I know the whole discussion, I want, I want your opinion on this, the whole discussion about Cleveland being a more favorable matchup for the Heat than Philadelphia. I know not everyone would agree with. Some would say, but the Heat beat the Sixers last year. I would counter by saying the Sixers are a better team this year. You have to assume that Embiid would be available for the first two games of the series, even though he has a history of injury, unlike last year. P.J. Tucker, even though he's not playing a ton of minutes, sometimes isn't even used down the stretch. He played just 12 minutes, uh, actually seven minutes uh, in their game on Monday night. He's obviously made them a better team. With Maxi coming off the bench instead of starting, they have an explosive 20-point-a-game score coming off the bench. So to me, I'd much rather face Cleveland than Philly, but moving up to five doesn't necessarily assure Cleveland because yeah. of the tightness of that race. What's your view on who you would prefer from Miami standpoint? Yeah, I, I think Cleveland, and it's just about the experience thing, right? Cleveland hasn't been there, and it's kind of, you know, it's the rule of the NBA playoffs, right? Like, you don't, you, you got to get, like, you until you win a series, you're you're like the team that can't do it, right? It's it's like a, a it takes teams typically time to to make their run. Uh, very rare, very rarely is it the first year. Um, you know, even like the Warriors dynasty, right? They beat the was it the um, Clippers? I think yeah, it was the it was the Donald Sterling series. I think right, wasn't it? The so like you know maybe this maybe this will be the year when they win a game and and start a little run. But I, I think the Heat. As you mentioned, the experience difference there. And Philly, you know, at various points this year, Philly has looked like maybe the best team in the Eastern Conference. And I think the ceiling for the top three is just the Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia right now is just a cut above, you know, Miami, Cleveland. You know, Brooklyn was in that mix, too, um, until all of this. But they, to me, there's like tiers. It doesn't mean that the Heat can't beat any of those three, but those those three have, when they're playing their best they're they're just a cut i think above everyone else uh because they're top end talent right they each have one of the uh seven or eight best players in the league uh so yeah i I would definitely rather have cleveland i think and then it's interesting and uh, you could probably say the same thing in the west like we get kind of caught up on like who makes runs to the conference finals and all that and I'm, i'm sure this is part of why the heat is like kind of felt like they could sort of be in a holding pattern. It's so much is going to come down to matchups, right? It's like the, the, the fact that the, you know, the resting stars in the regular season, um, making sure you're healthy for the playoffs. Like obviously Boston is in first right now, but they're only three and a half games ahead of Philly. Like there could be a lot of, a lot of change where it could be like the Hawks a couple of years ago, right? Where they, you just kind of need one upset, right? They play the Knicks in the first round and then you upset Philly and all of a sudden you're in the conference finals. And, you know, the, the two best teams in the East that year were pretty clearly um, Milwaukee and Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, it could be the same thing this year where maybe Boston and Milwaukee wind up in 2-3. Maybe Philly goes on a run. Like, so I, I think if you're the Heat, you have to be, I, I'm sure part of, why they feel good about this one is just because they feel like they with Jimmy they can win any series right if he steals two games from you all of a sudden just got to find a way to win two more maybe Bam steals one and maybe you have a game where you get crazy hot from three you win a series all of a sudden 
Um, and the way that the unpredictability of the regular season means you might only be the underdog in, in one series between like the first round and the conference finals or in yeah, the, uh, in the NBA finals. So yeah, even if Miami gets to five, even if they win a first round series against Cleveland or less likely Philadelphia, of course they're clear underdogs against Milwaukee or Boston, but you can't sit here and say there's no chance they can make it to the conference finals. Yeah. A couple of reasons. One, they've obviously played Boston and Milwaukee very tightly. They mm-hmm. they won three games against Boston. And I know the Celtics are a little better than last year. Won three games in the playoff series. Won a game in Boston in early December this year. They've beaten the Bucks twice, albeit without Giannis in those two games in Miami. And they played them very well uh, a week ago Saturday night in Milwaukee. And, and most importantly – you just never know with injuries in sports. Yeah. What if there's a sprained ankle for Tatum or for Giannis that keeps them out just a game or two and the Heat steals one of those games, and then suddenly you're looking at a series that goes to six or seven. So even though everyone on earth agrees that the Bucks or Celtics would be clear favorites against the Heat in a second-round series, you can't sit here and say that Miami has zero chance. Yeah. And you can't because we've seen how Butler can take over series. We've seen it several times. Uh, two of the last three years. Yeah, I guess my large my larger point there uh, is the balance of power shifted in some ways back to the West, where you know I still think Milwaukee and Boston have clearly been the two best teams in the NBA this year. You know, Denver's right up there too, I guess. But um, but just getting Brooklyn off the table that means you know there's it's one less likely team. You're, it's you know it, it just lessens the the chances where you're going to run into a team that has a clear talent advantage on you uh, for a team like the Heat. And, yeah, I know, uh, like we said, we all wanted them to make a move. Obviously, they w- would have increased their chances by getting a guy like Kelly Olenek or Boyan Bogdanovich or, or someone like that if they had been able to make it work. But um, I don't think that, like, I, I don't think they're just screwed because they didn't make a move either. Um, yeah, and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a couple other things. It's interesting. I should say also a lot of those guys didn't move at all, right? Like, right. Boyan didn't get traded. Uh, you know, everyone thought Toronto was going to trade some of their guys. None of those guys moved. Uh, Chicago, you know, stayed put, kept all their guys. So there were obviously, a, I don't want to say it was a, like an uneventful trade deadline, right? But it was either like superstar guys, you know, a couple others, you know, D'Angelo Russell, Russell Westbrook, Luke Kennard is a guy we talked about. But for the most part, it was kind of like there, there were a lot of teams that, I think people thought we're going to be sellers that just sat the whole thing out. And it, right. uh, you know, there were, there were only a handful of teams that were really active. They were all trading with each other and a lot of stars flying around, but you know, Washington didn't trade anyone like that. That tier of teams are trying to make the play in. Right. <laughs> it seems like, I, and I know it's a little consolation to fans that the heat did nothing to close the gap with Boston, and Milwaukee. I will say this though, the heat easily without making a move of any significance in the last year could have fallen to eighth, ninth, 10th in the conference. They're fortunate that they haven't, which speaks well of what Spolstra has maximized with this roster. He's done a great job. Obviously the year that Bam has had some of the supporting pieces like Haywood Highsmith giving you contributions and Butler, of course. Uh, But beyond that, the Heat's really fortunate that none of these other teams that tinkered has risen above them. We thought the Hawks, after getting Murray from San Antonio, you were saying to yourself, huh, I wonder if they're better than the Heat. Well, this just in, they're not. Uh, They can't defend. They've been around a game under 500 or 500 all year. 
the Bulls, who obviously remade their team a year and a half ago, and of course they've been without Ball, their point guard, but even with a very formidable three of DeRozan, uh, Levine, and Vucevic, uh, they're still not at the Heat's Mm -hmm. level. Uh, Indiana, which showed signs of life and was above the Heat in the standings two months ago, nine games under 500 after Monday night. They've totally unraveled. That team has disappeared. So Indy's not a threat to you. You could have looked at Toronto's roster before this season and made a case that they were close to the Heat. They've mm-hmm. nowhere neared uh, what they paper what on paper they would seem capable of. So the good news for the Heat is, in spite of the fact they've done nothing to improve their team essentially over the last year, all the other teams that had visions of top five in the conference, including Brooklyn, obviously, which yeah. totally uh, destroyed their roster, and the Knicks where the best they could do is Brunson and build a team that's maybe a 44-win team. All of these teams did not pass the heat in spite yeah. of Miami's inactivity. So if you want to look for silver lining, and I know most Heat fans don't. Most Heat fans <laughs> just want to be miserable about the lack of trades. But the good thing is you are still a top-five team in the East. Yeah. Yes, you're looking up at Boston and Milwaukee and Philadelphia, but it's not like you're looking up at those teams and that Atlanta, Chicago, Washington – uh, Toronto, any of those teams have figured it out and jumped you. That's not happened. Yeah. Uh, so before we uh, do want to talk a little basketball before we wrap up, but before we finish up the trade dead or last thing on the, the trade deadline talk. Uh, so they go into, they'll go into this offseason with Kyle Lowry and Duncan Robinson still under contract, big contracts, uh, as you mentioned, expiring contract for Kyle Lowry. As we talked about last week, they could get access to three draft picks. Do you think this sets up a potentially like, they take a swing this offseason in a way that, you know, maybe not, you know, they're not going to get Kevin Durant, right? He's, uh, who knows, maybe they will. But do you think it sets up a, a situation where, sim- you know, maybe something similar to what they did with Lowry, right? Where they, they got him as kind of like a number three. Do you think it sets up a situation where they're going to make some some major roster change this offseason, acquiring a, like, number, you know, they've got, I think, a pretty solid top three, but like a number four Fourth best guy on the team, third best team on. Yes, I think if they, the especially if they exit the playoffs meekly. Obviously, yeah. if you surprise everyone and make the conference finals, then a huge move is less likely. But if you go out earlier, as, as everyone would expect, then yes, they're going to put things in play. They're going to put obviously Lowry and Robinson in play. Hero, I think, would be put mm-hmm. in play for the right player. And you can say who would be the right player. You could definitely make the case for Lillard if yep. he gets unhappy. In Portland, I would no longer make kind of the same guy we've been talking about, right? Lillard, Beal. Well, I'm no longer going to include your your Washington Wizard, Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal, David. The reason I'm not is even though he's a good player, he's not appreciably better than Hero, where you can justify the 45 million, 50 million, 55 million due in years ahead. So I would say if you're going to put Hero in play, obviously most would for Lillard if he's unhappy this offseason. Not sure who else you would. You could make the case for Zach Levine. That, to me, is more debatable, depending mm-hmm. on what other assets the Heat would have to give up. So, yes, they're going to try to reshape their team this summer if they exit in the first round or if they exit meekly in the second round. Uh, but what they need is they need Kyle Lowry to rebuild his value a little. Yeah. They need Duncan Robinson to play some in the second half and hit shots at more of a 38 39% clip than the 33%. He's been at this season, so they definitely need some good fortune. They have the two number one picks to trade, 2023, and then either 28 or 29. 
Uh, as many Heat fans know, they can get a third pick to trade if they tell OKC, look, you can have our number one in 2025, whether it's in the lottery or not. Right now, it's lottery protected where OKC would get the Heat's first rounder in 2026 if Miami's in the lottery uh, to the 24-25 season. So lifting the protection obviously comes with risks, but that's how you get a third first rounder in play. But right now, we don't know if there's any star that's going to be out there that's worth three first rounders. To me, Lillard is the only one that I could realistically come up with, and he's shown no inclination to leave Portland for a long career. Yeah, as uh, as Anthony and I say often, uh, there's always someone like there's, yes, there's, there's, it's it's all about who's the next guy is going to be. Because like you said, even Lillard right now, we talk about him a lot because he's on a team that's you know might not make the playoffs and is one of the great players of his generation, but uh, he hasn't even he is not disgruntled. Um, but someone always becomes disgruntled in the NBA. Yes. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Besides seeing how point guard plays out, I think the other interesting thing is what surprise player emerges. Could Robinson, with the Heat's need for shooting, come back off the finger injury uh, quite possibly, if not likely, in Brooklyn tomorrow yeah. and give them a lift? Uh, that I think I think there's going to be some storyline that we don't know of yet that's going to emerge in the final 25 games, whether it's a buyout guy contributing uh, whether it's Duncan Robinson contributing. Uh, but I think something's going to happen because it normally does. And uh, one thing that's hurt the Heat is they have a very Eastern Conference-heavy schedule the remainder of the way. They've just been much better against the West this year. They have uh, uh, three remaining games against the West, all of them at home. Uh, but their East-West splits really have been striking this year. Yeah. I'm not sure what necessarily has caused that. just might be randomness, David. Uh, but it's weird that uh, they've been much worse against the East. In fact, against the bottom of the East, the bottom five teams in the East, if they hadn't pulled out that game in Orlando on Saturday night, rallying from 10 down, they would have been six and seven against the bottom five teams in the East. Instead, they're seven and six, which obviously is not as good as you would expect against teams like Charlotte mm-hmm. and Detroit, who are quite content being in the lottery. Yeah. Um, the one good thing I think about that is a lot of, you know, still three against the Sixers, one against the Bucks, two against Cleveland, a lot of chances, three against the Knicks still, like a lot of chances yes. for them to kind of control their own, uh, control their, control their own fortune here, um, in, in terms of where they can finish in the standings. Um, as for other stuff going on in the court, uh, another, uh, Clutch game for the Heat last night. Anthony, I've talked about this a lot. Obviously, it's been something he has liked to track all year long. Um, got a pretty decent record in these games. What, what do you make of the their penchant for playing these close games? Does it do you view it as a, a positive? The fact that they have uh, I don't remember their exact record, but quite a few games over 500 in these close games. Or to you, is it just like do you do you do you come from the school of thought where you're like, it's kind of all fluky, these close games, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, and, and 
not the best sign that they're playing close games against teams like Orlando. And like, where, where do you come down on, on this uh, clutch games conversation? I I'm just shocked that they've had fewer double digit losses than the Celtics. That, that is crazy. Is That's like a mind blowing stat. Yes. I would say the fact that they've had so many close games, obviously there's some randomness in there, but it's also, I think a function of their talent being pretty average by yeah. NBA standards. They've got the two all-stars. They've got, a player on the cusp of being an all-star, perhaps, in Tyler Hero. And I think the talent is not appreciably better than most of the teams uh, that they're playing. Obviously, it's clearly worse than a few teams. Boston, mm-hmm. uh, Milwaukee, certainly at the top of that list. Phoenix, you can make the case now, and a few others. Philly as well. Uh, so I think that's probably what's fueling this. And I think Spolster's just done a great job this year of extracting everything possible from this group. It's funny, I've asked Haslam a few times this year, is the team just stale? Is there a staleness with the roster? And he said to me, I don't think it's staleness. He said, what happens with us is sometimes we lose focus. And he said, the thing that's been frustrating about the season is, he said, with great teams that he's been on with the Heat, if you have a problem and the coaching staff addresses it, it tends to generally be fixed. He said, the mm-hmm. problem we've had this year is we'll have a breakdown or something will go wrong and the coaching staff addresses it and that'll be fine for a couple of games and then it'll go wrong. again. Yeah. So he said, that is what's been most frustrating about the season and kept them up nights. And we think they've turned the corner 2011 in the past 31, the loss to Denver at home was not a bad loss considering no. how shorthanded they were. So we think they've turned the corner, but we also know that they haven't fully earned trust because they could turn around uh, and lose in Chicago and Detroit on a back-to-back in mid-March, and none of us would be the least bit surprised. Just because the talent disparity yeah. uh, does not favor them on most nights, and even on nights when you think the talent disparity would favor them against the Charlottes uh, and the Pistons of the world, it still hasn't proven to be a difference half the time partly because they'll have defensive breakdowns, they'll get lazy, as we saw in that Sunday afternoon Charlotte game when the Hornets just got uh, guess, just got hot and went on a roll against them. So uh, I think Anthony and I are both tired of all the close games. It's exhausting on deadline. <laughs> He's on pace for a record number of games yeah. decided by five points or fewer. Uh, but, I, but I do think it speaks well of their grit and their poise that their record is substantially above 500. Uh, in those games, 19 and 11 heading into Denver, 19 and 12 yeah. now games decided by five points or less. Yeah, I, I do think there is something to be said. They have, um, you know, Bam has become a, a good closer this year too, but Jimmy historically is a very good, like, isolation scorer can get you a bucket or get to the free throw line, obviously, um, in these close games. I mean, how many close games have they won in the playoffs with him? Like, there is, uh, you're gonna like when you play a lot of close games, you're gonna lose some. But I, I think I think they are clearly a team that is um, a a good team in close in close games. It's not just a trick of the math there. Um, the, I don't want to go too deep on the loss to Denver because they will have played the net. You know there will be a game in between now and when this posts. But um, as you mentioned, they've been pretty good against some of these top, particularly top of the East teams. Milwaukee, they've won quite a few games against, um, a couple of them without Giannis. Uh, Boston, they've beaten them a handful of times. Um, Brooke, uh, but the last couple of games, the last couple of games against these top tier teams lose to Denver on 
um, on Monday night, lost to Milwaukee a couple weeks ago. When you talk about the talent disparity, it's interesting where it feels like sometimes it, it kind of man, you know, their lack of talent, their relative lack of talent kind of manifests sometimes more against the worst teams in the league where they don't have that huge separation. But um, I don't know. Are you, are you feeling that a little bit in these games against some of the best teams too, even when they win that they just don't have that, you know, kind of, they need to be perfect. And, and obviously on a night where they only had uh, 10 healthy guys on Monday, uh, the margin for error was really small. Are you, are you feeling yes. that when they play these really good teams? Yes, but and I'm also very eager to see how they do against Philadelphia in the three games against them this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at the end of last season, you had to say the Heat was a better team, even though everyone might have looked at both rosters and right. said, wait a minute, Philly has more talent. The Heat undoubtedly was a better team. They won in dominating fashion to wrap up a six-game series on the road yeah. against them. Now, obviously, everyone suspects that Philly is better. There's a good chance that's true. But you'd like to see these three games over the next seven weeks to know that with certainty. And also curious to see the home and home with Cleveland. It's actually two home games. It's not mm-hmm. game here, game there. One of those sets of back-to-back right. games against Cleveland coming up in a couple of weeks just to see a potential preview of a first-round series. Right. And then the three games left against the Knicks. They enter uh, Wednesday not only a half game ahead of New York uh, for the sixth spot in the East and – I think the Heat has a better roster, but I think Josh Hart helps the Knicks, and I don't think there's a big gap between the teams. One thing to keep in mind with the Heat-Knicks season series, Knicks obviously lead 1-0. If the teams end tied in their season series at two, and if they finish with the same record, Miami would win the tiebreaker in that circumstance by virtue of winning their division, the Southeast division. The worst division in basketball, probably. Right, so that's the one way where winning a division helps you in the NBA. But uh, the story still has to play out in terms of what they do with the buyout spot. If someone shakes free that we don't expect, or if Westbrook should sign Mm -hmm. here, that could be a boost, even though I agree with you, Westbrook – and Oladipo is not the ideal pairing because both are 29% three-point shooters. But at the very least, it would give you a spark. It would give you another high-level NBA player, even though he's not what he was. And I think – I don't want to say it could be a game-changer, but I think it could be the difference in a few games down the stretch if the Heat can maximize yeah. that one open spot with a with a really good buyout candidate. Yeah, I still think the Heat – you know, they're top – Obviously, their top two can go toe to toe with just about anyone. Their top three, when you throw Hero in, is pretty good. Um, you know, I, I've really liked Oladipo this year. Like they've got like, you know, their top four ish, top five are, are pretty solid. But to me, it's the drop off after there, where once you're into the replacement level, they have a lot more replacement level NBA players than um, I, I think a lot of the teams they're they're competing with, which is what makes it interesting. Um, it's why you can maybe why I've thought all, all along that this team I'm sure believes they're almost better suited for the playoffs than they are in the regular season, which is um, a little bit of con- I mean, they were obviously really good in the playoffs last year, but they were so good in the regular season with these replacement level guys last year. Um, all right. I think we can close things out there. Um, Tyler hero in the three point contest as of now, don't want to get too much into that because he's, he's hurt. So we don't know for sure if he's going to play, but if he does go compete in that, are you excited for that? Are you an, are you an NBA all-star weekend guy? Do you like watching all the, uh, I, was, I think earlier in my career now <laughs> it, it doesn't do much for him, but it's good to see Tyler be able to get to Salt Lake City. He said the goal remains obviously being in the all-star yeah. game. He says he knows to stack the Eastern Conference, the shooting guards. He says, I know I have to be better 
and put up numbers, yeah. you know, 24, 25 points a game if he's going to be considered an all-star. But I think what he's done a really good job of this year is even though he has the ball a lot, even though uh, he's obviously looking to shoot a lot of the time, I think he struck the balance of not overdoing it offensively. He's very sensitive to not wanting to be a, a ball hog or shoot right. too much with that first group. So I commend him for the efforts he's made there. Uh, he knows that when he scores 34 and the Heat loses, it doesn't do anything to make his coach happy. So I think, you know, he's, he's, he's been a good soldier in terms of trying to do what Spolster's asked of him and not trying to dominate the ball too much with the first group. Yeah, I think one of probably honestly, maybe one of the underrated uh, successes of this season is that Tyler Hero can be part of a starting lineup. I think that was an open question going Agreed. into the season. Um, anyway, you can follow Barry on Twitter at FLA Sports Buzz. Um, he covers everything like always Miami football coaching carousel spinning uh, Dolphins Vic Fangio will maybe get announced one day soon here um, probably I, I would guess by the time this, this gets posted Vic Fangio will officially be the Dolphins defensive coordinator but who knows um, and of course lots of heat coverage so check him out there you can follow me on Twitter at DB Wilson too uh, also be sure to check out the Eye on the U podcast which I co-host with Susan Miller Degnan, uh, that goes up every Friday morning, and we'll have obviously a lot to talk about this week with uh, a bunch of coaching changes down in Coral Gables. Um, but other than that, thanks as always for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week.